You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. When we're talking about the Beatitudes, it's really living the blessed life. And Jesus gave us some information about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In the Beatitudes, he gives us a paradigm shift of how we need to think. A way of thinking, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to shift the way we think. And and this morning, as I minister the word of God, I I take this, um, I don't take this rule lightly. I take it very seriously. And I stand before you as God's messenger to minister from his heart. And so... Uh, I trust that God's going to speak something to you this morning. There's a scripture in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. And and this, uh, and I just want to share this in light of what I just said. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. This is speaking of Moses. And with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. I was reading in the book of Acts this week and I came across that passage and and the Holy Spirit just arrested me for a moment and and, and, and spoke to my heart and showed me that as a pastor, as a minister, that we need to be in that place where we are receiving living words that we can pass on to others. And it's, it's not just for pastors or ministers, it's really every one of us that we can receive living words that we can pass on to others. So I want to bring a living word this morning, something that's going to inspire you, something that's going to challenge you, something that's going to maybe rock your world and move you in a different place than where you are right now. Now, when we look at the Beat, we're going to pray. With that, we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your word. Holy Spirit, we trust you to communicate truth and revelation to our understanding Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we're going to look at this again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through, we'll start at verse 1, and and we apologize, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty with the overhead, so we're going to try to get those scriptures up there, otherwise you can just have to do it the old-fashioned way and open your Bibles. Mm, Yeah, yeah, bring your Bibles to church, amen, that's it and use them, work them over. They, this should be uh, a book that's not just sitting nice on the shelf so everybody can say, oh, you have a nice Bible. It should be one of those books that's put to work and, and utilized and used, okay? All right. So Matthew 5, starting at verse 1, says, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed, verse 6, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Now, Beatitudes defined, we've defined it as a condition or a statement of blessedness. 
It's the word for happy, blessed, or fortunate. Blessed means simply to be happy. If you're blessed, you're happy, okay? Or you should be. The Greek word translated blessed in this passage means spiritual well-being, happiness, or attitudes reflecting actions that result in happiness, okay? Now, how I define the word beatitudes, I've shared this with you over a couple of weeks here. I define it as conditions of the heart that result in true happiness, or attitudes reflecting actions that result in happiness. Now, it's not so much that we're concerned about making somebody happy, but what is a concern is, is to establish God's truth in our lives so it can be lived out in a way that can affect what's happening around us. Because happiness happens to do with what's happening circumstantially around you, what's happening around you, okay? And God wants that to be something that is impacted by what he's doing inside your life, inside your heart, amen? Because it's really joy that makes a difference because my state of happiness can be determined by my circumstances, but joy is determined by God himself. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so, but yet God is concerned about what's happening around you. You know, if you leave the church and you go out there and you see that your car has a flat tire, you might have issue with that. But it'll be a test. I just talked to Earl. He can change a flat in no time, okay? And so, uh, and day or night, he's on call. You just give him a call. He'll, he'll show up. And he's got all the tools. He's got the big jack. He'll jack your car up until it's like t six feet high. You can actually walk under the car, you know. <laughs> Only kidding, but halfway kidding, okay? So, Beatitudes give us a perspective of a kingdom mindset that helps us to begin to adopt the right attitudes. Because, see, people, we often, the, the issues we have a lot of times is because we've got the wrong attitude about the situation. And until our attitude changes, the situation may not likely change. But your attitude, your outlook needs to change. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. We need to get the right attitudes. Uh, on the scene so we can see things begin to change and line up. Beatitudes address heart issues. And God's always interested in the heart and what's happening in your heart, not the surface things, because that's only a reflection of what's in the heart. Beatitudes identify the blessed person and also the condition that results in the blessing. We've also shared with you that the Beatitudes identify right attitudes which result uh, in the blessing of God upon our lives. And the Beatitudes are the code of conduct for Christian living that actually reflects the heart of God. And in each of the Beatitudes, we see a condition, Beatitudes, we see a condition that's connected with a promise. You meet this condition, then you get this promise. And, and you might say, well, do we serve a conditional God? Well, some things are conditional. Some things are unconditional. His love is unconditional. It's not based on what you do or what you don't do. But yet certain things are based on conditions. You do this, and you'll do that. And so we need to understand uh, the difference, you know, between what's conditional and what's unconditional. But that's a whole other message. We, we won't go there. Now, last week we talked about uh, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. Now, I wanted to say one thing about that. The reason for an unsatisfied life is because of an unsurrendered heart. The reason for an unsatisfied life is the result of an unsurrendered heart. So, are you satisfied? Then, or if not, then you need to surrender. You need to surrender your will to his. Because you'll never be satisfied in God until you surrender to his will, to his plan, to his purpose, okay? And see, that, that, that affects the pride issues because, you know, we have to set pride aside when we surrender, when we yield to the plan and the purpose of God. And, and you need to understand that everyone in this room, everyone listening to the sound of my voice in the podcast, or um, we got that Periscope thing going now. Last week we had like 87 people outside of this room tuned in listening to this message. Praise God, people I've never met, maybe never will, unless I see them in heaven. But um, so, you know, we, now where was I going with this? <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Okay, everyone on the sound of my voice. Okay, I got, I remembered. Back to earth. Yeah. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of you. You may not be called to stand behind the pulpit like I am, but God most certainly has a plan for you. And you could miss that plan. You could live life not fulfilling that plan. It's something he's ordained from the foundations of this world. But yet it takes the cooperation of your will to yield and surrender to him so you can live that out and so you can fulfill that plan. And, and, and that's my desire as a pastor is to help you not only discover that plan, but then fulfill that plan that God has determined for your life, okay? So, verse seven, let's look at it, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, that sounds like a good deal, right? If I show mercy, I get mercy, yeah? Uh, that, 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 does that sound good? Okay, we need to explore it because from the surface, it may appear one way, but when we go deeper, we begin to see some other things. First of all, mercy is a prime attribute of the nature of God. It's a primary attribute of the nature of God. And you see, we cannot fully comprehend his mercy until we have a revelation of his love. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, you can just jot that down if you're taking notes, verses 14 through 19, the apostle Paul prays a prayer for the Ephesians. And it's simply a prayer that the Ephesians would come to comprehend and understand a revelation of God's love, how high it is, the depth of it, the dimensions of the love of God, to know the love of God, which goes beyond human intellect. It's hard to grasp it. We can't always understand it intellectually, but we can understand it by revelation, okay? And so, uh, and really, God's mercy is really a reflection of his love. Uh, there are actually three God is phrases in the Bible, in the New Testament. In fact, I did a search in the Old and New, and there's really only three that say God is, and then it says something that has to do with an attribute or a characteristic of who he is. The first one is God is love. How many of you heard that one before? First John 4 Eight says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
statement of fact. God is love. What is he? He's love. See, this speaks of his passion, his passion for you and for me and for humanity. Now, see, this speaks of his nature. His love is displayed through mercy, okay? You can write that down. There's another God is. It says God is spirit. Now, this speaks of his nature as well. Uh, in John 4, 24, it says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And, and the third uh, phrase we see of God is, is God is light. We, we find that in 1 John 1, 5, and this speaks of his truth. 1 John 1, 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, I, I shared those three so for your information, but the focus is God is love. And, and to understand that characteristic of his nature. So what does merciful mean when the Bible says, blessed are the merciful? Well, merciful, it means to be full of mercy, right? That makes sense. It means to show or give mercy, to be gracious. It's treating people with kindness and forgiveness, not being cruel or harsh. It's giving relief, someone relief from suffering. It's having mercy on somebody if they're, if they're bearing a heavy load or a burden, if they're going through a hard time. It's coming in and helping them through that struggle, through that difficulty. Uh, merciful is to be compassionate. It's showing or having compassion. Merciful is to be humane to be marked or motivated with concern, with helping to eliminate someone's suffering or alleviating their suffering. It's being kind, having or showing a tender or considerate or helpful nature. And, you know, and, 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 and there's a place for mercy that, that we need to begin to live out in our lives because I know sometimes we can be hard on ourselves and we can be hard on others. Uh, and yet there's, there's a place for discipline, uh, but also there's a place for mercy. And, and we want to contrast that this morning. And, and this Hebrew, the Hebrew word for mercy is rakam. And that means to love and to have compassion. And that's in the, the Strong's Hebrew dictionary, uh, the Hebrew dictionary. The Greek word for merciful uh, in this passage that we just read is the word elome. I'm not a Greek scholar, so if I mess that up, forgive me. I'm not going to repeat it. Uh, and the definition of this Greek word is full of pity, merciful, and compassionate. And now this Greek word, which we find in Matthew 5, 7, is found in one other New Testament passage. It's also found in Hebrews 2, verse 17. In Hebrews 2, verse 17 says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. This is speaking of Jesus. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, the high priest was to go and to plead the case on behalf of the people in their sins and to plead forgiveness on behalf of those that had sinned against God. 
Now write this down if you're taking notes. Mercy is love's expression. It's an expression of love that we don't deserve. I'll I'll repeat that. Mercy is love's expression. It's an expression of love that we don't deserve. Now, the fact is, not everyone is deserving of love um, because of the way they act and what they do. It's like, who do you think you are? You don't deserve anything. And, and really, because we're all sinners, all of us deserve God's judgment. We deserve hell. But yet, God stepped into the picture and he said, no, I'm going to change that. Even though they deserve hell, I'm going to show my mercy so that they can gain heaven. And, and, and this is really the miracle of redemption when we look at God's mercy. And mercy means that we're kind and forgiving. It's, it's kind and forgiving treatment of someone who could be treated harshly, that deserves to be treated harshly. Uh, we treat them with kindness and mercy. Uh, kindness, it also means kindness or help given to people who are in a very bad or desperate situation. And, and all of us are in a desperate situation uh, apart from Christ. We're without hope. We're lost. Now, actually, in, in this beatitude, because it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, Uh, Here we see the golden rule at best, okay? Now, what's the golden rule? To do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know? Uh, It's the sowing and reaping principle. Uh, We see the story where Jesus talked about uh, the uh, landowner that had a servant that was uh, doing bad, so he ended up getting fired, and the guy was in debt, and he was gonna make him pay all this money. Uh, But then the man pleaded and asked for mercy and and the landowner gave him mercy but then he went to one of his fellow servants and he imposed he said you owe me something and the comparison of what he owed was was nothing it was like $40 compared to like a couple million dollars that he was just forgiven but he didn't have mercy towards his fellow servant and so that didn't go well because he ended up having to pay the whole debt back to his landowner so Now, if you want to receive mercy and have it extended to you, you need to be willing to extend it to others, okay? That's the golden rule. Uh, How do you want to be treated? Um, That's how you need to treat others. Sorry. You know, if if you don't like to be greeted in the morning when you drive up to the McDonald's window to some grumpy old woman, yeah, here's your car, you know? Then be nice, smile. Now, I've, that's never happened at McDonald's, so just uh, not, okay? Because they always put nice people there that have smiles. But every now and then, somebody's having a bad day. And if they're not smiling at you, if they're short with you, if they're grumpy with you, just be nice to them. Amen? And you, you might just make their day, okay? All right. Now, so how many of you have been through drive through already this morning? Had a little extra time, got up, and maybe had breakfast or Starbucks or something. Okay, we won't. Yeah. All right. Luke 6.31 says, And as you wish 
that others would do to you, do also to them or do so to them. Even as you wish, as you wish others to do for you, do to them. Take the first step, okay? Amen? And then Psalms 18.25, we see an Old Testament picture here too. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. And so God will show himself merciful to the one who is merciful. Now, who have you shown mercy to? I want you just to take a moment and think about maybe a situation or circumstance that you had an opportunity to be harsh with somebody or, or just, you know, tell them like it is, tear into them, but you decided to show them mercy. Maybe it was even your child in a disciplined situation. Now, I'm not saying to hold back discipline when a child needs it because they need to be disciplined. But in some situations, there may need to be mercy extended, okay? Um, and so, or has somebody shown you mercy to you at some point in your life? I, I want to share a little story with you that came out of the World War II. During World, World War II over Germany, there was a man by the name of Charles Brown. He was 21 years old. He was from West Virginia. He's a farm boy. And he was on his first combat mission in the B-17 bomber. Now, he's piloting this aircraft, and he glances outside his cockpit into his fear. He sees a German fighter that's just right off of his wingtip and ready to take him out because he suffered some hits in that plane, and, and, and the plane was damaged. His, his rear gunner was killed. Several others were wounded, and so this did not look good. And so this pilot looks over to the co-pilot. He says, is, is that what's out there? Is, am I seeing what's really there? And the co-pilot agreed. And now... What happened after this was phenomenal because they were able to see this pilot, this German pilot, look at them, put his thumbs up, a nod, and he went off. That pilot, that German pilot in that moment decided to show mercy because his plane was already crippled. You know, he didn't even know if it would make it back to the, to the base. And you know, wounded, there's casualties aboard this plane. And in that moment, that German pilot decided to show mercy. Now, in all of World War II, this, this goes historically to be something that was very significant. Now, years later, these two pilots had an opportunity to meet. And it was a tearful meeting. And, and so, you know, you hear about these things, and it causes you to wonder, and, and really reflect upon the mercy of God. God is our source of mercy. In Psalms 145, verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Wow. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, every morning we wake up to new mercies, to God's mercy. He's going to show his mercy to us today. Now, what's very interesting in the Hebrew, the word for mercy I shared is rekem. It has the same root word as womb, a woman's womb. So mercy comes from the place which we are born, from the tender love of a mother. That kind of love, that kind of compassion comes only because of a connection. There's something about a mother's connection to the child in her womb. And so that's how this Hebrew word mercy is trying to describe uh, this element of God's nature. Now, what's interesting is that kind of love, compassion only comes because we have a connection. It has nothing to do with what we do and has no justification because it comes from within us. See, no one deserves mercy but we owe it to ourselves to grant it. That's a statement by Bob Menz. To be merciful is to remember the source of our life and to recognize that we did nothing to deserve it. Wow. So what can we learn from this beatitude? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Being merciful is not an option. It's a requirement if we're going to live this life for God. It's not an option. You can't just pick and choose, well, I'm going to be merciful, I'm not. And, and the reason why it's not optional is because we all need mercy. I need mercy. You need mercy. And for that reason, we need to show mercy. Our condition is absolutely hopeless without Jesus. We're hopeless without him. I want you to turn to Ephesians, and we're going to finish the rest of our time in, in this chapter, chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we see something very, very significant. Hallelujah. Starting at verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, we were all in the same boat together. We were all lost, hopelessly lost, dead in trespasses and sins. And so this is the condition of every human being apart and without Christ, apart from and without Christ. And so, number two, what do we learn from this beatitude? Mercy changes our perspective and our position. Mercy changes our perspective and our position. You see, you and I had nothing to offer God, but he had everything to offer for us. Going on in verse 4, we see, but God, this is back in Ephesians 2, still there, but God being rich in mercy, 
He doesn't just have mercy, he, mercy, he's rich in mercy. He has an abundance of mercy. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is such a powerful passage, folks. He's rich in mercy. See, he not only forgave us, but he repositioned us. He seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we have a new location. We're seated with him. A new position, spiritually, because of his immeasurable riches, of his grace and kindness that he showed us in Christ Jesus. Then number three, we need a revelation of the mercy of God before we can begin to operate in mercy. We need a revelation of the mercy of God before we can begin to operate in mercy. To be merciful towards someone or towards others, for us to do that, we have to experience God's mercy for ourselves. And maybe there's somebody here that you've never really experienced the mercies of God. And you know, I can look back at my life and I can give you countless numbers of times when I know God's mercy was working on my behalf. Even in this recent trip in Africa, I, I know the mercy of God was working on our favor, on our behalf, getting us through situations, avoiding us through situations that could have been hurtful or harmful, that God protected us because of his mercy. He intervened for us and, and has for you more times than you probably realize. I have some quotes from a number of men of God that talk about God's mercy. The first is by Warren Wearsby, and he states, the most miserable prison in the world is the prison we make for ourselves when we refuse to show mercy. See, this has to do a lot with unforgiveness because people are unwilling to forgive. You don't know what they did to me, Pastor. They've wronged me. They deserve this judgment. They deserve the mess that they're in. Instead of praying for mercy, we can often find ourselves praying for God's judgment on somebody's life. And we're living in a day in this nation where we need God's mercy like never before. And let me say this because God's mercy is extended towards us. But you have the right to reject that mercy. And you can reject it time and time again. But be warned, if you continue to reject his mercy, eventually you will face his judgment. I don't want to face the judgment of God, so I'm going to welcome and receive his mercy in my life because his mercy will transform us. It will change us. It will not leave us the same. 
See, that's the power of his love. It's a transforming power that brings change. It goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. In other words, you couldn't save yourself. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You can't boast in what you've done to earn salvation because it's a gift. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, let me say this. To sin because mercy abounds is the devil's logic. Because you can just say, well, I'm just going to sin. God's mercy will cover it. If you go into it with that attitude, that's the wrong attitude to go into it with. Some people think, well, God's just going to forgive me, so I'm going to do this. I know God has to forgive me. Let's not go there, folks. This quote is actually by Thomas Watson. He says, to sin because mercy abounds is the, is the devil's logic. He that sins because of God's mercy shall have judgment without mercy. Mercy is not for them that sin and fear not, but for them that fear not, or fear and sin not. See, God's mercy to us is the motivation for showing mercy to others. It really is. Rick Warren makes a statement. Remember, you'll never be asked to forgive someone else more than God has forgiven you. God is more willing to pardon than to punish. Did you know that about his character? He's more willing to pardon than to punish. Justice is for those who deserve it. Mercy is for those who don't. That's a quote by Woodward, Woodrow Crow. So mercy is God giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve his mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Because the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. So in mercy, God saves us from death. And when I think about that, because often we look at our lives and we say we're so unworthy. But it's really not a matter of worth. It's a matter of what we deserve. Because God placed a worth and a value in our life because he saw us worth saving. Your life is worth something to God. But when it comes to deserving, you know, I don't deserve eternal life because of my sin. But yet I'm worth saving. So Jesus saved me. He paid the price. He went to the cross to die for my sins. Hallelujah. In Psalms 57, 1, we see a cry for mercy. It says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you, in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I think we as a people need to cry out for God's mercy. 
not only for our own lives, but for our city, for our state, for our nation. We cry for mercy. God, have mercy on us. The man who stood there across from the Pharisee, the Pharisee was, you know, beating his brow, or not beating his brow, but he was gloating in how he was so good. He paid his tithes. He did all this good stuff. He was such a good, upright citizen. And then you got the guy over here who's a sinner. He hangs his head down. He says, have mercy on me, oh God. Have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. Jesus said that that guy's the one that got justified, not the righteous Pharisee, but the one that was willing to admit, I need your mercy, God. I need to have your mercy so I can make it. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.